welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. You know, sometimes as a preacher, like, you want to perform. Can I just be transparent? Like, you want to perform. Like, you want to say all your smartest things and your funniest jokes and, and, and the, the, the most nuanced revelation of the scripture. And I just don't really want to do that today. Um, because I, I find that uh, I have been changed not by uh, brilliant, nuanced teaching, but I've been changed by God himself, by touching and interacting with the heart of God himself and um, learning that he loves me and that it's by the great grace of his son that came and shed his blood for me that I could be brought in and washed and made perfect and clean and accepted as a son independent of the baggage that gets tangled up around my feet and independent of the mess that I make on a regular occasion and I want to talk about um, the wellspring of our life where we go to the well and um, I want to encourage you it happens to be accidentally in line with us launching these small groups about just meeting with the presence of, of God and just seeking his, his, his spirit. Um, so can you stand with me and we can, we can walk through the word a little bit here and, and uh, I just ask you, Lord, will you please lead us to the well? God, the well that never runs dry. God, the wellspring of your life your goodness, the place in the garden, God, that you intended from us. In the scripture, it says that out of the garden flowed a river, which, which meant in the middle of the garden, there was a spring of life, a wellspring, and a river was flowing from that place. It's emblematic of the place of the presence of God, where there's a spring of life. And Father, we just ask that, that you would draw us to that well this morning. God, that you would draw us to the only place that satisfies. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you read this uh, scripture with me this morning? Proverbs 5.15. It's actually the scripture we land on as we've been going through the book of Proverbs. And um, let's just do the first couple, two verses, Heidi, and then we'll, we won't walk through the, the rest of it. So everybody with me. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we, we ask that it would be implanted deeply in our hearts, God. That we would walk as the burning ones, the ones that walk representative of your kingdom. God, that we would be the light bearers. That we would be, as Jesus, you said, the light of the world. God, in a dark and confused place. God, that we would bring clarity and hope and orientation to the world around us because we're living from your wellspring. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Come on, be seated. Kiss your neighbor on the cheek if you're married. If not, just blow gently on their cheek, awkwardly and gently. It's blow. <laughs> That's the first. I've never asked a crowd to blow on a cheek before. <laughs> 
So we've been walking through the Proverbs. Um, we do this consecutive exegetical walk through the scripture, which is we just pick a book or a place, and we're trying, we've been walking through scripture by scripture and saying, what does God's word say to us? And the thing that's funny about that is we bump into things that don't really, there are things that, that we don't often want to talk about or that preachers want to avoid. So we've been in Proverbs chapter 5, and the whole chapter is about adultery. And, and, and the admonition to a son, um, don't commit adultery. Don't chase the foreigner. Don't chase the strange places of intimacy because it will functionally destroy your life. And your, all of the life force that God gave you and put inside of you will be spilt out onto the streets. And last week we talked specifically about Hosea. And Hosea is this really bizarre book in the Bible where God tells a prophet to marry a prostitute so he can figure out what it's like to be God. It's a really weird thing. And it's weird for a number of reasons, but I think the big overarching weirdness of it is that God tells a guy to marry a prostitute. Like, that God in his nature would tell someone to do something that bizarre and hard, you know? Like, God, first of all, that he communicates, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the maker, sustainer, communicates to people, point one. Point two is he tells them to do stuff that's really bizarre. And oftentimes in our Christian life, we want God to tell us to do stuff that's really easy, and that fits within our boundaries and our way of doing and our way of being. But if he says to us, like, I know this is really hard, but I want you to forgive that person that offended you. And I want you to actually go to them and say, hey, listen, this really hurt me, but I love you and I want this to be fixed. And we're like, no, God, that's really weird. God wouldn't say that to me. I'm going to say a silent prayer in my chamber, like, Lord, please, please, if you're going to murder them, do it swiftly. <laughs> like, less pain. <laughs> Uh, and God asks us to do hard things and bizarre things that don't make sense. And it's okay because it says in the scripture that his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. It says, as, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so much higher are his ways and his thoughts than our own. And his ways and our, his thoughts, we have to be willing as people to interpret from his original intent. And God's original intent was to take you and me, man and woman, Adam and Eve, and place them in a garden, a place of flourishing and abundance, where every one of their needs was provided for, and they were walking with God in the cool of the day, knowing him living in Pleasure Island. Like, that was actually his original intent. All of these trees with all of these fruits and all of these animals walking up and riding on the ostrich, like Treasure Island, you know, and all of this stuff. Like, that was his original intent. Like, it was this party land, the zoo without cages. How many of you like to go to the zoo? I love to go to the zoo. We were at the zoo with Leon one day, and we had the classic, like, he turned away from the glass, and the tiger jumped up to eat his little red head. It's so fun. Imagine the zoo. <laughs> Not my kid getting eaten. That's not fun. Imagine the zoo without the glass and without the the fences and the cages. And imagine that God actually made an amusement park for you to live in. And I actually imagine that life in God wasn't supposed to be pain and destruction, but he was calling us ever closer into the garden. A place where it says there's a wellspring in the center of us for us to live off of the pleasure and well and love of God. And when we see his laws and his ways, the great lie is that way leads to dryness and death and loneliness. And God's like... Don't you see who I am? 
Don't you see the original intent that I provided for man? It wasn't like he didn't create man and put him on Mars, you know? It's like a red giant desert a bazillion miles long. Here you go. Figure it all out on yourself, on your own. No, he, he put man in a garden, in a place booming with life and abundance. And all throughout the Proverbs, these aphorisms of wisdom, these directives that are given to us are directives of life. They're directives that life would grow and flourish on the inside of us. And we get this um, Hosea scripture and he's living with a prostitute. And a prostitute, I don't have to say who, but a prostitute, you guys are adults, you know what a prostitute is, you're adults. A prostitute has this deep, intimate encounter specifically without the production of life. Like the most intimate human encounter that you can have expressly devoid of life. And God is like my whole way, the intimacy with me is supposed to produce life. With God, intimacy, the closer you get to him, the more life that should be naturally produced inside of you, that you would know him and that he would know you, and in the knowing that we produce life. In Genesis um, chapter 4, it says, And Adam knew Eve, and Cain was produced. This intimacy, the closeness of, of, of Adam and Eve, the concomitant production was life was produced through that intimacy. And God made us so that when I come together in union with my life, little red-haired creatures are created. But also there's life just in our union together. That intimacy is supposed to create life. And the insanity of Hosea and the prostitute is he's like, marry this person who's living a cycle of life to experience physical bliss without life being produced. And it says, Jesus says of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning. He wants to give you all of the stuff that makes you feel good, but he wants to steal your life away. Like, here's the candy bar. It's going to taste amazing. It's going to be awesome. It's going to make you buzz on every oracle of your... That's not a phrase. That's appropriate. It's going to make you buzz, and then you're going to die. Like, that's what drugs are, right? You get the maximum boost, and then it steals your life away. That's what substance abuse does. You get the maximum life boost that you're looking for, and then it takes from you your life. And God is like, Israel, you're living this way where you're running toward that elation, but it's literally devoid of the most beautiful part, which is life. And so it continues here in Proverbs 5.15, and it says, drink water from your own cistern and flowing water from your own well. And this whole chapter, chapter 5, the whole thing is about don't commit adultery. And that's an important thing. Don't commit adultery. But there's also an analogy between us and our relationship with God that he is our source. He is our life spring. And, you know, reading this strictly from the adultery perspective and not thinking about the God analogy element of this. And you look at, you look at let's say it's Solomon speaking to his group of a son. And he says, also, by the way, drink water from your own well. And it's just it's a weird thing to say. Because 
first of all, I don't even know if I've ever seen a well before in my life. You know, I'm not, it's not normal for us to understand the context of a well. I remember as a kid, my grandfather, before he died, as my grandparents, they grew up on a, upstate New York, well, they didn't grow up, they grew up in the city, but my parents grew up on an upstate New York farm, and they had a well on their property that water came from, and was the water for the whole system, and they would always say, turn the faucets off, because you don't want to drain the well, and I didn't know where the well was, it wasn't like one of those circular rock things that you throw, you know, make a wish in, it was underground, I guess, I didn't ever research as a child into where the well actually was, my grandfather, I remember before he died, like a month before he died, he took me branded into my mind. He took me as an eight-year-old probably through the house to all of the faucets. And there was, I think, 10 or so bedrooms in the house. And we'd, they all had their little sinks because it was a dude ranch originally before they bought it. And he turned off all the faucets. He said, David, you have to turn the, make sure the faucets are off because you don't want to let the well run dry. So you have to protect, he said this, you have to protect your grandmother and make sure the well doesn't run dry. And so I would grow up, and even as a teenager, I would walk through the house and check all the faucets of the house to make sure the well didn't run dry. You know, we have this icon, really, cultural icon with wells and wishing, right? Where people throw coins into it, and they're looking for their wish, which, which is a picture of the fulfilled, like a desire fulfilled. Like, oh man, if this would, if I can only get this, then I would have actual fulfillment. And, and that idea sprung forth from water was scarce and we needed it for life. And so, you know, people's decades ago, decades ago, thousands of years ago, hopefully not decades ago, believed that there were deities in the wells that had power over the waters. So people would throw coins to appease the deities in the wells because water was associated with deities. And so the wishing well was actually a way to make a sacrifice to a deity. So the next time you're throwing a coin in the well, you're throwing a coin to a demon god. (laughs) Maybe you're not, but that that was the original context of the wishing well, that you were actually... The water was associated with a deity because of the necessity of people dependent in agrarian societies upon rain and then crops springing up. And I was just, I was thinking about that context of the well and the wish, going to the well to seek your fulfillment. And the, and the proverb is saying, drink water from your own cistern. Um, let your life come from your own well. And, and two of the patriarchs in the Old Testament, five chapters apart in both chapter 24 and 29, both find their wives at different wells. Both Isaac and Jacob find their wives waiting at the well or watering things at the well. I'm going to read you this portion of scripture because wells represent the feminine. They really represent female. They really represent the birthing of life or the offspring of a place of life. It says this in Genesis 24, 13. See, I am standing beside this spring or well. In Proverbs 5, 15, there are a few different words. Some say well, some say cistern, some say spring, but the concept is always the place that produces water or life for you. And it says, see, I'm standing beside this well, and the daughters of the town people are coming out to draw water. May it be when I say to the young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, 
I will know that you have shown kindness to your master. And the, the servant of Isaac goes up to the well and he asks Rebecca for water. And she says, I'm going to give you water and I'm also going to water all of your camels. And the emblem or the picture that we have is twofold, that she's a person that's flowing and overflowing with life and that she's also a person that's not selfish and greedy and narcissistic and self-centered, but she cares about uh, the servant and the things that the servant cares about or is carrying or is walking through life with. So it's about the production or overflow of water. And I was looking at bizarre stuff. When I research sermons, I look at weird stuff. So I was looking at amniotic fluid in the amniotic sac because that makes sense, right? And it says this um, from a medical um, blog. It said, while the baby is in the womb, it is situated within the amniotic sac, a bag formed of two membranes, the amnion and the chorion. The fetus grows and develops inside the sac, surrounded by amniotic fluid. Initially, the fluid is comprised of water produced by the mother, which is exactly the same thing a well is, is the place of the production or the upflow of water. And this, and this is saying that the mother actually produces water when she's producing new life. So the imagery of a well is the same imagery that we have of a female that is producing new life. And so the warning is coming. Don't go to other wells. Protect and guard and love the well that you have been given. Don't go to other cisterns and other streams that the water that you have been given and granted, that place of intimate union that springs forth life, don't go to other wells. They won't produce life. The water will be spilt out onto the street, not onto the ground, not onto the farm that produces life and vegetation and crops, but onto the street where it will be wasted. Do not go to those other places for your fulfillment. There is a singular place that God has given us as believers for our ultimate fulfillment. There is one wellspring. There is one place of life that we're called to go to for our wellspring of life and fulfillment. And that's in Jesus. Amen. And here's how crazy it is. John chapter 4. Jesus is sitting on a well. And a woman who has had six marriages, who has gone to six different places to experience the fount of life, is coming down again to the well. Except Jesus is there at the well. And this is crazy to me because she's not looking for Jesus. She's just looking for another drink at another well. And she's already been filled six times. And she's not repentant. She's not saying, oh God, will you come? He's waiting at the well. He's waiting to be the thing that fills and supplies with gracious life overflowing. And the scripture is so amazingly integrated. I want to read you this Genesis chapter 4, excuse me, John chapter 4, and it says, now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. He's sitting upon this place that is emblematic for the place of life pouring forth, to be the fountain of, to 
give sustenance to the dry and the arid. And, and, and friends, how much of our lives are we dry or arid or, or lacking or broken and we go to other wells to be filled? Or we go to other sources for that moment of relief, for that, for that moment to give us a drop of water on the tongue to satiate us just for another moment in the journey. And how often, friends, do we not go to Jesus for that moment? The wellspring of his life, his whose side was pierced, and it says, and blood and water flowed. The picture of the fountain of life. And it continues, and it says, and his disciples had gone into town, and a Samaritan woman came up, and she said to him in verse 8, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock? And Jesus answered, whoever drinks from this temporal water, I just threw in temporal, it doesn't say in the scripture. Whoever drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The promise of God is not that we would come to church as the well. Do you, do you get that part? The promise of God is not that we would come to the congregation that is the church, that is important, this element of our faith life that we have a church we go to, but that's not the promise. He doesn't say, and then you'll, you'll have a community of believers and you'll all go to the well once a week, and you'll all get a drink from that well once a week. And it'll be great, and then you'll be, like, less thirsty, and then by Friday you'll want to murder somebody again, and hopefully you won't, like, down a couple of fifths, like, and you'll make it to the next Sunday where you can drink water again. It do he doesn't say that. He doesn't say there'll be a community that's the well. He doesn't say there'll be some separate book that's the well. He doesn't say there'll be a pastor that you'll hear on your podcast that's the well. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, is if you touch me, if you drink of me, then from inside of you will come a well of water. The fountain will be, will, will be created inside of you. You will have an amniotic sac inside of you that's producing life at all times. Because my spirit will be alive and living on the inside of you. And you will not be desperate in a dry desert looking desperately for the garden. You will make gardens where you go. Because you will be the fount. He says, sir, she says, uh, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? I just love that idea. Like that there is some kind of mechanical item that you need to draw with. Like there's some kind of substitution. There's some kind of like, there's, I, like I need a special wand or, or a special robe or a special hat. You don't have anything in your hands to draw with. Like you need something else when Jesus himself is that something. And he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everybody that's supplementing their life with Jesus, with other things, will be thirsty again. Brother, 
you need a podcast to keep you alive with Jesus, you're going to be thirsty again. That's the dang truth. Like, you need a conference to keep you on the straight and narrow, you're going to be thirsty again. Right? You need to, like, crash. This happens mostly. I crash and burn with sin. Like, I crash into, like, a, like a gutter of, of scabs and drunkenness. And then I'm like, God, I need you. And then, I, and then it's, he comes and he, he waves grace and his forgiveness and he brings me back as a son and he restores me. And, and, and if that's the tool I need to get back to Jesus, I will need it again. If that's the mechanic that I use to bring me back into relationship with God, I will rely on that. And Jesus is like, but if you drink of me, if you encounter my presence, if you know me, Remember I said in Genesis chapter 4 that the, I love the King James Version. It says, and he knew her. Like, it didn't say, and he had sex. It didn't he say, like, they were, they were biological, mechanical, mechanistic, you know, beings that, well, there was a thing that happened, and there was some fluid that passed, and then a new little being came out. It says that he knew her. And it's referencing this vulnerability like in the most vulnerable kind of way of knowing another person that they came together in their nakedness, in their vulnerability, and he knew her, and they conceived, and God's saying, will you know me, and can I know you? Or do you want to just keep hiding and put on your best outfit and come to church and be like, clean my hands, except for this one. Or like we just put on our best and look our best and do our best and don't tell people about the live zombies that are in our closet. And he's like, I want to know you. Knowing produces life. Intimacy produces life. Isolation produces death. It's the way of God. And it continues. And the woman says to her, sir, give me this water. So that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He says, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. And she, and she replied, Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands. Which is such a, this is like amazing. Because she's like trying to get the water, but she's trying to hold back her past. So she's not actually knowing him. So she doesn't say, I've had five husbands. She doesn't come clean. She's just like, yeah, I'm not really... <laughs> Not really in the husband's zone right now, Lord. Can we get to the water part? And he's saying, I'm trying to get you to the water part. I want to know you. The scripture says, um, if you confess your sins one to another, that you'll be healed. And so many of us are walking with zombies in our closet. And I don't like the skeleton ideas because skeletons are dead. But zombies come back from the dead, Right? And the scripture says, if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. And so many of us are walking with living zombies of sin and pain and, and addiction and shame in our life because we haven't known someone. We're unwilling to know other people, which is the scheme of the enemy. Uh, so life is not produced. And it says this, Jesus is so good because he knows all of her. He knows her past he knows her present. He knows her future. And it says, it says um, she says, I have no husband. 
And she replied, and Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that the fact that you've had five and the man you have now is not your husband. And she said, what you have said is, is quite true. So she had five dudes and then she's with the sixth dude. And uh, I just as a caveat that this can be swapped in gender because I don't know like how many men are going to the well of pornography to look for life and it produces death and it's like right from our culture I think the stats are in churches like 60% of pastors are going to the well of pornography to look for life and what do they get you get death you get intimacy imaginative intimacy that produces shame and guilt um, and and she says I've you know she's like you have you had five you're with one that's six and then all of the classic preachers would say and that Jesus is the seventh man. And the man that she wasn't even looking for. This is how mind-blowing. This is how insanely good God is. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were looking for other wells and pouring forth water in the street. That's what the brilliance of Hosea is. is God says, uh, marry this prostitute and I'm still going to love you and I'm still going to love her, and I'm still going to love Israel independent of their current status. And by my love, I'll draw them back. And um, I wanna, I'm going to wrap up here. Can I have the worship team come up, actually? Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, Jesus, this is what I love that she says to Jesus. Excuse me. She doesn't say this to Jesus. She says to the townsfolk, and this is, listen, this is, the, this is the wrap. This wraps the entire story up. This phrase by what the woman said. Just as his disciples were turning and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, uh, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said this to the people. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Come see a man who knew me. Who knew my past and knew everything I did. And was waiting for me at the well. Who's known everything. Who's known all the chaos, all the tragedy. That he knew me. And in that knowing life and a whole a whole city was presented with Jesus because of that moment of intimacy with him Lord that we would know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering that would produce the kingdom of heaven life in us. God, that with every area of our life, got every stone unturned, got every closet door open, got all the stuff that's scary that we don't want to look at or mention or say, God, that we would know you, that you're safe, that you're good, that you're, you're merciful beyond our understanding, that your ways are higher than our ways as the heavens are above the earth. We thank you, God, that your desire is for our hearts to bring us back into the garden, the place of the wellspring. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know Him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org. In the dark.